0: I was born in Bangalore, India. I now live in the San Francisco Bay Area. I am married to a Silicon Valley entrepreneur. I have two uh, grown-up digital native sons and I'm also caregiver to a 90-year-old digitally savvy mother. I grew up in a sheltered family and I sometimes look back at my journey to where I am today. I think it started at a school I went to in India which was run by American immigrants, that taught me to be individualistic, to challenge ideas that I was presented with, and to track my own course. And that, I think, set the stage for me to being here. At that school, I learned about Henry David Thoreau and redwood trees, and now I have a redwood tree growing in my front yard. Professionally, I am a people person, I've always been a student of human behavior. I studied neuroscience and clinical psychology in college and was really trying to understand brain behavior relationships, why people were disturbed, why people with mental head injuries had difficulties, and so on. And then when I followed my husband to America, by the way, I chose him myself. I switched to trying to understand uh, how computers could function like humans and studied artificial intelligence. My uh, doctoral dissertation was uh, on on a field that maybe not a lot of people study and that is metaphor. How do people understand metaphor and idiom? And some of the papers I wrote there are still referenced today. But not wanting to be an academic, I decided to switch into being part of industry and worked at Hewlett Packard for many years trying to make technology more accessible to humans. And along the way, I met Accenture and joined them to actually create the first Accenture interactive uh, practice in personalization and uh, social media. I now am part of Fjord, which is Accenture's design consultancy. And I'm part of uh, the leadership team driving a program called Data and Design. I'm chartered with a tall order is to try to bring analytical minds or mathematicians closer to designers or artists and create new solutions working that together. I am passionate about a cool project I'm working on right now is how to measure digital experience. I call it the love index. So you'll hear more about that in the press very soon. All in all, I'm an experienced digital strategy and innovation executive, and I've spent my career bringing the human element into the design of digital products and services. Mostly, I'm happy that I have a cool job at Fjord. I am Nandini Nayak, global design strategy and innovation leader at Fjord. Celebrating the work, lives, and achievements of
1: women in Western North America, The Drum presents Exceptional Women Out West hosted by the Drum North America editor-at-large, Doug Zanger. Let's go with three questions. What does being fearless mean to you? I
0: I thought about this, and being fearless means knowing what to treasure i think often when we are afraid to speak the truth or say something that is not going to be popular what are we doing we're really trying to treasure our safety or treasure something that we apparently might lose but i think if you if you know what to treasure then you will not be afraid right so i always think when i have to give bad news in a public you know in a business situation or stand up and give a presentation that my, i may not quite succeed at i think well, what's the worst that can happen? My husband's still going to love me. My children are going to love me. And if I don't say this, then somebody else, you know, a few steps down the road will say it and be rewarded for it or something bad will happen anyway, right? So I think being fearless is really knowing at your center what's important. And if if you know that, then being fearless or being quite open about your ideas and your perspectives is not that difficult.
1: What's the most important decision that people, and by extension women, can make in their careers and why is that?
0: I think the most important thing women can do with their careers is not to neglect it, but treat it like they would their children. I found a lot of women who, once they have children, tend to not focus on their careers, but put that aside as a job rather than a career a career just like children needs to be nurtured it yeah it <laughs> needs to be nurtured needs to be paid attention to it needs to be coached along it needs to be told what's working and what isn't etc and I think a lot of women forget that and they they also rationalize that as uh, an or rather than an and so I think men don't have that issue right men do not Think the arrival of children means that they have to make huge sacrifices. Nowadays, I think they are like it's
1: changing. It, yeah, it's changing. No, I, I know what you, I know what you mean, and I I, I was had sort of the raised eyebrow, but you couldn't see the raised eyebrow on as yeah. you're listening to this. But no, I I know what you mean, but fortunately, it is it, changing. Yeah, it is yeah.
0: changing now. And now, you know, I had a a partner who you know completely supportive. I had a four month old baby, and I went to France on a business assignment, and he want to, I said, well, I want to go. But what do we do? And he said, well, I'll go with you. We'll take the baby. That's awesome. Yeah. And so we got our time in France and uh, he took care of the baby. So that, you know, as long as you have that kind of balance that works, but a lot of women don't or appear not to have it. But I think it's important that they do not think a career is an or. It has to be an and and you'll have to figure out how to work it.
1: Why do we hold ourselves back?
0: I think we hold ourselves back, and women especially hold ourselves back, because we are somewhat afraid of success. You know, I think a lot of us analyze what will happen if I take this new position, or I ask for something higher, and if I succeed, what will that do to my life? I have a theory that it's because we all, as women, are taught to nurture and keep things stable, mm-hmm. and stability and lack of change is what we, are, we tend to pivot towards. And whenever you take on new assignments or take on things that you haven't done before, there's an element of risk and a lack of stability. And that I think we talk ourselves out of. And I think that's one uh, reason we hold ourselves back. And if we acknowledge this in ourselves, and I watch other men doing that, and they, they're able to say, oh, I don't know 30% of that, but I'll figure it out. They are willing to be more risk takers. And I think, I almost think it's biological, it's the way we are set up. But in the modern world, women have to say, well, I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. It'll get figured out. I don't have to overanalyze that and figure out every last detail of what's going to happen before I take on a new assignment.
1: Let's go to the must list. <coughs> what is a must read?
0: I have two must reads. The one must read is The Places You Will Go by Dr. Seuss.
1: I've heard it before. It's a classic.
0: Yeah, it is. And, you know, as I think about women and the kinds of sort of compromises they make, I think every woman should read that every once in a while and talk about not waiting or postponing opportunities for a later time, but really thinking about, you know, it's going to be dark, it's going to be corners, they're going to be things when you're feeling like really fearful or not supported but you keep having to move forward.
1: What's the second book?
0: Second book is Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. I'm a psychologist and a cognitive psychologist at that and I really like this book because it defines some of the work that I'm doing right now. We all know that um, you know humans are not analytical human beings much as we would like to think we are. Right. <laughs> we we tend to uh, make intuitive decisions often and not that they're all wrong but I think a lot of the products and services that companies create assume that we are super analytical I am now in the process of uh, figuring out how the insights in this book actually uh, is relevant to modern um, society
1: what is a must-do
0: I think for success both for men and women or anybody is public speaking I think often I've seen really brilliant people Um, not have the impact they would have because they're not able to actually communicate in audience-specific ways. And I have felt that, you know, if you don't speak publicly and you don't understand where your audience is coming from and you're able to, you know, tone down your conversation to that level, you don't learn how to express your ideas and get them to be adopted.
1: Do you remember a public speaking engagement where you were kind of like, ah, I don't know, and then all of a sudden... You realize it was just the greatest thing ever. We all have that where we get a little nervous. Yes. But then you realize, wait wait a second, that was awesome. Do you remember do you remember one of those?
0: Exactly. So th- there was a time when I'd gone to Amsterdam and we were doing this high performance conference and there were a lot of Dutch speaking people in the room and the person who had organized it wanted me to say certain things and I had to be very rehearsed. And I and I can't do that, right? So I had I was rehearsed and I decided I would you know, I just I just put away my papers and I did the pitch and there were lots of questions and I was extempore and I felt like and I moved up and down the stage and I felt like I did the best I ever did. And after that I've stopped over rehearsing for public speaking. Oh, you can
1: totally do that, right? <laughs> oh, you can just rehearse yourself into, into a box Yeah, exactly. because, that, because then there's no room for the margins, which yeah. is kind of where the cool stuff happens. And it's
0: happens. less authentic.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. What's a must experience?
0: I think a must experience is failure. You know, I I feel like, I do believe that you learn the most out of pain rather Mm -hmm. than pleasure. You learn most out of your failures. And I think it's important to experience failure, not just experience it, but deal with it with grace when it's happening and also to be able to retrospectively learn from it. And I've had several experiences as a consultant, you go through very difficult circumstances. Uh And I've always learned something from it and learned what not to do the next time.
1: Talk about accepting it with grace, because that's a tough one. That's a tough one. And I'm not trying to say all Americans are like that, but. It's kind of an American trait that we don't like to lose.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know, I've been in situations where people get very annoyed with somebody's late, or you know, you, you go to a, a whole lot of us go to a meeting, and there's a very senior person at a client who just doesn't turn up, and it gets people really angry and upset, and they take mm-hmm. it very personally. So I like to think that if grace under pressure is really about, once again, the same concept I talked about earlier is knowing what to treasure and knowing what not to treasure. So if you put in the effort, you did your part to go there, right. and something happened, you failed. You, you need to say, okay, you don't win everything, but then figure out why that happened. So I think the emotional aspect is what you need to control. And you know, if there's no real loss, I mean, the sky didn't fall, we didn't lose our jobs, people didn't die, it's okay, you know?
1: I like that your must learn here is to have grace under pressure. Yes. It's a learnable trait.
0: It is. It, is. it and, is. And it's really about knowing, like I said, you know, knowing what's important and what's truly important in life. Mm-hmm. I've lost a brother. And, you know, once you have certain loss in your life, you know to figure out what's really important. All the other stuff is fluff.
1: <laughs> Understood. Yeah, I lost my father when I was super young. And you don't realize it when you're that young. But when you're older, you... you when you, right. when you mature, you realize that impact that, that yeah. it actually had on you. Right. And it requires one to realize, you know what? Yeah, it's, I think, you know, everything's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tough situation. But, you know, to be able to, one of my friends said the greatest thing. She said, the pain never goes away. It's just different. Exactly. And that's, I think that's a good way to approach yeah, it. Yeah, and
0: then you treasure the memories and mm-hmm. then you think about that. And so one of the things I do is... I believe that it's important to make memories. So I live for making memories, so I, I always plan around, okay, if our, if our families are together, we no, don't just sit around and do nothing. No, we actually you know, create a memory, right. an imprint, yep. trace.
1: <laughs> What's a question you've never been asked before that you would love someone to ask you?
0: I thought about this uh, a great yeah. Feeling. You built like
1: a bunch of them down. This yeah. is this is great.
0: Yeah. So I said, what if somebody asked me, who are you really?
1: That, see, that's very ex- existentialism. <laughs> it's very, it's very, it kind of got a Jean-Paul Sartre vibe on that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm a little bit of a, a philosophy major as well. so. But the point I was trying to make with this specific question is, as we think about diversity and as Fjord has tried to become the cultural ambassador mm-hmm. for Accenture on how to build a diverse culture and work together, I think a lot of who we are is the unseen part. We all play parts in terms of what we show of ourselves. Like in this interview, I'm showing you a part of myself, Mm -hmm. but I'm not showing other parts of myself. And I think to some extent, societies try to mold us into certain boxes and suppress other aspects of ourselves. But in an increasingly globalized and diverse world, I think the more we enable ourselves to show all aspects of ourselves, the richer the interactions and the more sort of communication we have between us. So I think uh, when I think about myself and you ask me, who am I really? I say, well, I mean, I was born in India, so I'm a little bit of an Indian. I'm now an American. I've lived over 30 years here, so I'm right. an Indian American. I Am I then obedient like a good Indian girl should be or am I assertive? And I'm a bit of both depending on the situation, Right. Am I wise? Uh, Maybe uh, to some degree, but I'm also cool because I work in digital,
1: right?
0: right. (laughs) Right? I'm a psychologist. I'm a bit of a scientist. I'm a designer. I am an executive, you know, so I put on different personas for each of those. I'm a mother of two boys. I'm a daughter to my 90-year-old mother. I'm a wife. So I I think there are many different aspects of myself. I I like to do Facebooking. I like to create memories. I like to travel. I'm a foodie. Um, You know, I like to so I think there are many, many aspects of ourselves, and what we reveal in each of these situations is it depends upon how we read that situation. Right. So I think that's a question I've never been asked, but I don't know if I gave you the right answer, but I think I'm still figuring There's out the no answer. answer <laughs>
1: There's no wrong answer to that question. There's no wrong answer to that question. No, I think it's perfect. I think it's exactly. perfect. Here's where I compliment you. Uh, your experience and your... Education is incredibly impressive. The company that you work for holds you, deservedly so, in incredibly high esteem for a number of reasons. You told me a little bit about your background, going to Santa Cruz and going to Berkeley and all of the amazing research that you've done. You have this vast reservoir of really cool stuff What I appreciate about what you do is you you brought it up earlier in the conversation and it's the language between technology and humanity and especially around data, because it seems so impersonal. And I think that that it's such a it's a very difficult balancing act to humanize a number or data and to do it in a way that feels really honest, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense, because I think that we force that honesty to fit within what we believe is the right thing to say at the right time as it Mm -hmm. relates to data and humanity Mm -hmm. and, and just getting to know you in this very short time, but also in knowing a bit about you, that's a huge thing to be able to bridge. And I think that you would probably admit that you're not hundred percent there yet, Uh. not even close to hundred percent there yet, but I think that it, you can have a little swagger on this one. I think it's safe to say and acknowledge that you're probably farther along than a lot of people. And I think that what is really interesting to me is that I don't sense that you're the type of person that's going to say we've arrived. It's we're learning these things and we're evolving and here's what I think. And here's how it relates to the human side of things. Exactly. So that's where I compliment you is that that balancing act is so difficult And I love the fact that you're just honest and like, I don't have all the answers, but I'm gonna figure them out, and it's going to be real, and it's going to be honest. Exactly.
0: The reason I left academia was that I didn't want to just be an ivory tower person, right? I live my life with my head in the clouds and my feet in the mud, Mm -hmm. right? So I like to take ideas, like this and try to actually make them happen. And I think at Accenture and at Fjord, we finally have the ingredients, You know, we have the analytical capability, we have great world-class designers, mm-hmm. and we know the world is waiting to figure out what this mountains of data is going to do for us. And so, like you said, how do you pull that together? I mean, it's, it's a complex challenge, but it's an interesting one, and I've always ru- run towards stuff that's mm-hmm. complex but interesting.
1: Every guest gets an opportunity to talk about whatever they want for a couple minutes. So, without further ado, the floor is yours.
0: I thought I'd talk about a passion that I'm currently working on, and like I said, I mentioned it earlier. And it's called the Love Index. It's it's interesting because you know it's called that first of all, and sometimes you know people say love and in business. I mean, those two ideas don't go together. But knowing me, you know, I try to you know connect disparate ideas into into one. The reason why we believe this Love Index is going to be somewhat important change that we're going to bring about, and I'm doing multi-region research associated with it, is that most times when people measure the success of digital experiences, they've always talked about in terms of loyalty, you know, after-the-fact measures. But we really need to, as digital services become an inherent part of our lives, we need to really think about them as part of our lives and how we connect to them, how we have affinity towards them has to be measured in very human terms. And what we did with this is a study, a qualitative large-scale study, followed by a quantitative study that revealed five dimensions, like I talked before, the fresh dimensions, fun, relevant, engaging, social, helpful. And I, I think this this particular study I'm really interested in is because I think it's going to fundamentally hopefully change the way we think about how we measure experiences and how and that measurement will, by definition, create experiences that are much more human centric, which is my objective overall. So look forward to sharing the results of that study.
1: Much like the muscle list, we like to end on a high note with a little more advice or wisdom. So what would you say is your last word to wrap up the show?
0: People ask me how I got here and what makes me successful. So I like to say that I always feel like for a person to be successful, they need to have a core focus that is theirs, that they know what's the core intent, core focus, or core capability they bring to the table. And for me, that's human-computer interaction. I bring the human side into technology. And, and then I think it's important alongside that to build adjacencies, to know how that fits into the other pieces that surround it. And in my career, while I have always been the human computer interaction person, I've been the glue sitting on the edges between my stuff and technology and my stuff and data and my stuff and operations. And along the way, I learned a lot about this other stuff that's surrounding it, but I never lost where my interest was and what I brought to the table. So I leave you with have a core competency, but never stop learning about what surrounds it.
1: That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for hosting us here in San Francisco and best wishes for continued success.